Well, good evening, everyone. Glad you're here this evening. Uh, if you have your copy of God's Word with you, and I certainly hope that you do, open it with me to Mark chapter number 2. We'll continue our study through the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter number 2. And we'll be focusing on verses 18 through 20. But uh, I want to read uh, from uh, verse 1 all the way down through verse 22. Before we read, let's go again to our Lord in prayer and seek His enabling and anointing. I, I des desperately need His touch in uh, being able to preach His Word. And of course, you need His anointing to be able to hear and to receive and respond to his word. So let's let's pray. Oh Lord, I lift up my heart to you once again as we've come together in this place to worship and adore you. We join our hearts, we join our minds, and we lift up our eyes to gaze upon you, the great God of glory. We want to worship and adore you in a manner that would be pleasing to you, that would bring pleasure to you. We pray that our worship tonight would be a sweet savor lifting up to you and that you would be blessed and honored and glorified and that as your word goes forth to this congregation here in the building and as it goes out over airwaves, I ask you, oh Lord, that you would speak to people, speak to their hearts and cause them to lift up their eyes to you and seek after you. If there's anyone under the sound of our voice that knows you not, I pray that you would convict and draw them to yourself. Do that great regenerating work of repentance and faith in them. And I pray that you would bless as we look into your precious word. We want to learn about you. We want to learn your will, your direction for our lives. We want to learn your truth and we want to be strengthened by your truth, oh Lord. And so I pray that as we look into your word, you would speak to us, quicken our spirits, oh Holy Spirit, to be able to believe, to be able to receive, to be able to embrace the treasure of your word and to live it out in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. Now Jesus has been gone into the cities of Galilee. He's come back to Capernaum. He's gone back, I assume, into Peter's house. He begins to teach and when it was known that he was in the house people started gathering and they 
uh, flocked to the door in so much that people couldn't even get in or get near the door. And they come, verse 3, and they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk? And But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately... He arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. And he went forth again by the seaside. So he's going out of the house now. He goes out of the house and he calls Levi or Matthew. He went, out, went forth again by the seaside. That's the Sea of Galilee, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. So everything that he does, just keep this in mind, we keep seeing this, he does everything in the context of preaching and teaching the word of God. And uh, as he passed by, verse 14, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now Levi, Levi was a publican. He was a tax collector. He was a Jew. A Jewish tax collector for the Roman occupying government. And, and uh, it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house. Many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And now we come to our text Verse 18, and the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. And they come and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come. When the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then they shall fast in those days. 
No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filleth it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred. But new wine must be put into new bottles. Well, this uh, uh, verses 18 through 20, uh, we will entitle this message a question about fasting. So when we begin in verse number 18, John the Baptist's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees were fasting. Now, uh, my King James Bible uh, puts this in the past tense and says used to fast, but uh, literally it is a uh, present participle, and so it is present tense. And uh, uh, the King James is the only translation that I can find that puts it in the past tense, but uh, most of the other translations say that they were fasting. And so they're in a time of fasting, uh, and uh, that's possibly or maybe probably one of the weekly fasts that the Pharisees observed. Uh, if you'll remember when Jesus talked about the uh, Pharisee and the publican, they uh, were praying, you know, and the Pharisee uh, said, uh, I thank you that I'm not as other men are, you know, and even as this publican, he said, I fast twice in the week. And so there's two days a week that they had uh, uh, designated as fast days. And uh, I'm not sure which of those, which days were the fast days, but possibly it's on one of those fast days. And because it says that they were fasting and they came to Jesus and uh, they seem to have been on a fault-finding mission anyway, because remember, just a couple of verses before, uh, they had asked why Jesus ate with the scribes or, or with the uh, uh, with the publicans and sinners. They had a little bit of an accusing attitude toward him, don't you think? And they said, "Why does he eat with publicans and sinners?" And Jesus knew what they were saying, and he said, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they which are sick. And Jesus was with the scribes and the Pharisees, and we need to make sure we understand this. He was with, not excuse me, the scribes and Pharisees, I keep saying that, the publicans and sinners. Uh, he was with them, not because he was a cohort of theirs, not because he was uh, consorting with them in their sin, and he wasn't approving of their sin or participating in their sin, but he was with them as a physician with his diseased people. A physician has to get close to diseased people, doesn't he? doesn't mean that he wants to take part in their disease, but he has to be near enough to them to be able to treat them. And Jesus was among the, the uh, uh, publicans and sinners as one who was their 
uh, physician, and they were diseased. As a matter of fact, they were as bad off as you can get, like every one of us, before we came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. So, uh, so they're accusing Jesus in this passage, and it seems that uh, they haven't changed their attitude very much uh, in uh, this passage when they say, why, why do the disciples of John the Baptist and the disciples of the Pharisees, why do they fast and your disciples don't fast? I kind of think they're saying, we're, we're just a little bit better than you guys. You know, I mean, we fast twice in the week and, and you guys are sitting here partying it up. And, uh, and why is that? Why aren't you fasting? Well, before I get too far into this, let's talk a little bit about fasting. And I'm going to talk about it a couple of times uh, in a couple of uh, different ways. But fasting is probably the most terrifying subject that any Baptist could preach on. But, uh, but it is a biblical concept. And it is in our text, and so we need to understand a little bit about it. The word fasting is a, a Greek word. It's a compound Greek word, nesteuo, and it is made up of a prefix ne, which means not. Right? Okay. And estheo, which means to eat. And so put it together, it means to abstain from eating or to abstain from food. Normally, a fast, fasting means to abstain from food for a period of time for religious pur purposes. But uh, fasting can also be, uh, uh, we can fast in different ways. You can do a complete fast, a total fast. You can do a partial fast. You can do an intermittent fast. There's several different ways that you can fast. And uh, you can also fast by just denying yourself something that is pleasurable to you and uh, use that time when you would be doing that, whether it's eating or doing something pleasurable, you would use that time to seek after God and draw near to God and have a closer communion with the, with the Lord. Now, Scripture in both the Old and the New Testament has a lot to say about fasting, doesn't it? It's not one of the major doctrines of our faith, but the scripture has a lot to say about it. And uh, I would, for one, would be just completely happy if it was confined to the Old Testament. But it's not. I could probably find a way to wiggle around it. But it's not confined to the Old Testament. The uh, people of God have been known as people who fasted, Moses in Exodus 34, uh, verse 28, says that Moses fasted for 40 days and nights. And King David fasted often. And one of the most notable times you remember when he had uh, 
uh, sinned with Bathsheba and she'd conceived and, and they had a child and Nathan came to him with the message from God and said that God has put away your sin but the child is going to die. And when that child was sick and at the point of death, David was fasting and grieving and crying out to God. And so this is, uh, uh, David was a man who fasted. Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, verses 3 through 5, said that he chastened himself with prayer and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse number 4, when he got the news about the condition of Jerusalem and the walls around the city, he fasted and prayed. And Ezra chapter 8 uh, began to fast and pray because he didn't want to ask the king to uh, protect him because he'd already told the king that God's going to take care of us. And now he's in danger. And so he didn't want to go back to the king and say, I need a guard. So he starts fasting and praying unto the Lord. The Ninevites, remember, is, uh, as Nicholas taught us in uh, the book of Jonah, how that the Ninevites, when they heard Jonah's message, the king said uh, for them to, he declared a national fast for all the people. And he came down off of his throne and rent his clothes and put ashes on himself and sat in ashes and fasted and repented. And he, uh, of course, Elijah fasted. Remember Esther when uh, they were uh, the people of Israel were in trouble because of uh, uh, because of the edict that had gone forth that uh, that all the Israelites were they were just doomed and she said I'm going to go in before the king and I could be killed but she said uh, fast and pray for me and if I perish I perish. And then there was Hannah. I think Russ talked about her a few, uh, few services ago about Hannah, who was the mother of uh, Samuel, how that she uh, fasted and prayed. And then uh, when Jesus was born in Luke chapter 1, we read about Anna who uh, fasted and prayed before the Lord. The church at Antioch in uh, Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, fasted and prayed before the Lord. Paul and Barnabas fasted and prayed in Acts chapter 4 verse or chapter 14 verse 23. And so there's just an awful lot to be said about fasting in the scripture, both Old and New Testament. But uh, fasting had uh, uh, become a uh, just nothing but a ritual to the Pharisees. And uh, it, was, uh, it was nothing but a show. It was one of those outward things, those outward manifestations of their religiosity that they often uh, tried to put on display. And then John the Baptist apparently had taught his disciples to fast. And so it's the uh, disciples of the Pharisees and John the Baptist, the disciples of John the Baptist, who come to Jesus and say, why do the disciples of the Pharisees and why do the disciples of John the Baptist fast, but your disciples don't fast? And Jesus responded to their question with a question. He does that often, doesn't he? And Jesus, verse 19, Jesus said unto them, can the children of the bride chamber fast 
while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. So Jesus uses this terminology about a bridegroom. And he says, can you make the children of the bride chamber fast? And he's bringing this analogy of a Jewish wedding uh, before them. And he's, and he's asking them uh, what you know about the, uh, the celebration of a Jewish wedding. Would you be able to make the people, the attendants of the bridegroom in the uh, uh, uh marriage ceremony, would you be able to make them fast in that time of feasting? Well, what in the world is he talking about? What does he mean by the bridegroom? And who is the bridegroom to whom he's referring? Well, he's referring to himself because the, uh, uh, I think most of you know that uh, the church is depicted in Scripture in many ways as the bride of Christ, right? Am I right? Or, yeah, okay. And so the bride of Christ means that we are the bride and he is the bridegroom. As a matter of fact, Paul uh, actually... Uh, Explains it, clears it up, and confuses it all at the same time, right? Uh, in, uh, or excuse it, he confuses me with it. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse number 21, listen to what Paul says. He says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. He's referring to Jesus. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their, hus their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. See, he's making this connection all through here. That he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water, by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Now listen to verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So, Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. 
Now, when you uh, uh, think about this wedding uh, analogy that Jesus is using here, I've uh, looked at several different sources and I've kind of combined together some steps in a Jewish wedding. So the first thing that happens in a Jewish wedding is that the father initiates the thing because he, he is the one who sets up the whole thing. They would choose, and in those days, if you'll remember Abraham sending out Eliezer, his servant, back to uh, his uh, homeland to choose a bride for Isaac, the father is the one who sets that thing up. The father of the bridegroom arranges the marriage. And then sometime before uh, the marriage takes place, the second step is that the son or the bridegroom goes to, the, to betroth the bride to himself and he pays the bride's price and establishes the marriage covenant. Now that's what Jesus was doing on earth. Jesus, the bridegroom, was here to, uh, to establish the bridal or the marriage covenant, the betrothal between himself and the church, and to pay the bride price. And uh, that's, uh, that was what was going on when he went to the cross of Calvary. He paid for our sins. He bore our sins in his own body on the cross. He died for us. He carried our sins away. He satisfied the wrath of God that was against us. And he satisfied God the Father. And he has... Uh, uh, has made the covenant with the bride. And uh, then the next thing that the bridegroom does is he goes back to the father's house to prepare a place for his bride. And he goes back for, and uh, 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 in many cases, an uh, undetermined amount of time. In other words, he doesn't tell the bride when exactly he's coming back. But uh, during the time that he is gone, he's prepared, he's gone and preparing a place for her, and she is, meanwhile, preparing herself for him and looking for his return. And uh, so, where we are right now is in step number three. We're looking for his return, and we are preparing ourselves to meet him when he comes. So what Jesus was saying, what Jesus was saying in uh, the answer to their question was that he is the bridegroom, and the bridegroom is here, and the uh, betrothal is taking place, and it is a time of celebration, and it's a time of rejoicing, and then there's going to be a time when he is taken out of the way. He's taken out, and, uh, and out of the way was not a good way to say that, but taken out, uh, taken away. He's going back 
to heaven. That's where he is now. And uh, that he said, then, then they'll fast. Right? Jesus said unto them, can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them. And then shall they fast in those days. So, uh, just to uh, finish out the uh, wedding steps, the groom comes back for the bride. They go back to the father's house and live happily ever after. So, there is a time to fast. Now, I know that's the part you didn't want me to get to. But, uh, let me see here if I got all that right. Yeah, there's a time not to fast. That's what I was just talking about. And now there is a time to fast. And uh, the time to fast is when the bridegroom is taken away. He was taken away when he went to the cross, died on the cross. He arose again, and then he ascended back to heaven. And he is gone for an indefinite period of time. We don't know when he's coming back. Uh, the Father in heaven knows when he's coming back, but there is a day when he will return and his people will be gathered to him and he will take us home to be eternally with him in the presence of the Father. And so there is a time not to fast, but there is a time to fast and that time is now. So you say, well, why fast? What's What's the benefit of fasting or why should we fast? Well, let me say again, uh, or maybe I haven't said it yet, but I want to say that fasting is not a major doctrine of the church and it's not something that's necessarily commanded. I wouldn't say that we're commanded to fast, but the scripture does seem to assume that every Christian will fast. And if it's assumed, then it's probably expected. That's the way I see it. Matthew, remember what Jesus said when he was teaching his disciples in the uh, Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter number 6. Listen to what he says. He, he says, Take heed that you do not your alms, your giving, your, your sharing, your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is, in heaven, which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may uh, have glory of men. Can you imagine that? Jesus said they're actually doing this. They're actually sounding a trumpet before themselves. They're having someone blow a trumpet and says, uh, Pharisee so-and-so is coming in with his offering. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus said, I say unto you, they have their reward. That's all you're getting out of it. You get the glory of uh, you get the praise of men, but that's all you're getting out of it. 
but, but I want you to notice he says in verse 2, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms. In other words, it's not if you give, but when you give. And then he says in verse 5, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the street, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So he didn't say if you pray. He says when you pray. Because it's assumed or expected that Christians pray. Am I right? Verse 16. Moreover, when ye fast. Be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. In other words, they, they didn't just fast and go about their business and, and uh, just keep that between themselves and the Lord. They would uh, try to look sad and just suck in their gut, you know, <laughs> and look really pitiful. Well, Jesus said, when you fast. So what is fasting? It's a practice of self-denial in order to draw near to God. Self-denial. The Christian life, y'all know this, right? The Christian life is a life of self-denial. Jesus said, if you want to follow him, you have to take up your cross daily and come after him. Now, in Jesus' time, the cross was not an ornament. It was not a decoration or a, a, uh, a jewel to hang around your neck. If you saw a man walking with a cross in Jesus' day, he wasn't coming back. He was going to die. Jesus said, if you're coming with me, it's the way of the cross. It's the way of self-denial. And one of the ways that we can, uh, we can train our bodies and train our hearts and our minds to self-denial is by denying ourselves this essential of eating sometimes. Fasting is not only a practice of self-denial, but it's a time when you can set aside your physical needs and choose rather to concentrate that time on addressing your spiritual needs. For example, if you're fasting from food, say you're going to dedicate the time that you normally eat lunch Instead of eating lunch, you're going to spend that time seeking God, spending time in prayer. Sometimes people fast a whole day. Sometimes people fast three days. I have heard of people fasting 40 days. I have no experience with that. But, and you can tell by looking at me, I didn't have to tell you that. But fasting is, uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, fasting is a time when we, uh, we concentrate on our spiritual needs rather than on our physical needs. And 
By fasting, we can learn to humble ourselves. And that's, this is very important. I don't know if you have a problem with pride or not. You know, the, I, I, I consider myself the person in the world with the least reason to be proud, and yet I battle it. Why is that? And I and you know what you you know what's going on in your mind right now. Your flesh is so corrupt and so sinful, and your heart is so sinful that it's saying you're being proud by saying you're proud. I mean, you just can't you can't win with this thing. And and so humbling ourselves through fasting is a very important thing. And and, and let me tell you why I say this. Let me. Uh, let me show you Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 16. You ought to turn over and read this. You ought to mark this in your Bible. Everybody ought to mark this in their Bible because this is mind-blowing. This is mind-blowing. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. Listen. Well, let me start. Let me start up here in verse 48. And as I live, saith the Lord God, Sodom, thy sister, hath not done she nor her daughters as thou hast done, thou and thy daughters. He's, he's uh, after Jerusalem here. He's, he is uh, rebuking Jerusalem. And he says, Sodom's not done what you've done. And listen, he said, verse 49, Behold, this, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, you say, well, I know what Sodom's problem was. It was perversion. It was homosexuality. That's what it was. Well, look at what God said it was. This is the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride. Fullness of bread. And abundance of idleness was in her. I don't know about you, but... That's a picture of the United States right now with our prosperity. We have all the food that we need and there's uh, uh, and we have an abundance of idleness. It says, abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy and they were haughty. It's another way of just talking about pride. They were haughty or arrogant and they committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw them. Now listen, he didn't get to the abomination until the end of this list. I don't know if you realize what a horrible sin pride is. But there is nothing there is nothing that, as a matter of fact, I'm almost, I believe I can almost say this, that the root and the heart of every sin is pride. Pride. And so, uh, one of the ways that we can humble ourselves before God is to avoid this thing of fullness of bread. And... Seek after God. Another thing, uh, another thing that's associated in Scripture with fasting is repentance. And you know, we've already talked about Jonah in Jonah chapter 3. 
where the king of uh, uh, Nineveh and the people of Nineveh, they fell on their faces. They sat in ashes and sackcloth and tore their, uh, their garments and put dust on their heads and cried out for mercy and repentance. And remember, oh, I just love that message you preached about how that God delights to show mercy and he looks for just the least little opportunity to, to shower mercy on people and he was merciful to them. Daniel chapter number nine. Remember, I mentioned this, but let, let me read a, a few verses here. Daniel chapter number nine. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And from then on, you find Daniel confessing the sins of the people of Israel. And it's a very powerful prayer. And Daniel was not one of the sinners as far as the uh, things that brought this on the children of Israel, the captivity and all that, Daniel was a sterling example, a glowing example of God, uh, of a person who wanted to obey and honor God. But Daniel started fasting and praying for his nation and confessing the sins of his people. I don't know if you agree with me or not, but don't we have some responsibility to do something similar with our country? Cry out to God for mercy for our country. Fasting is also associated in Scripture with a deep passion for the work of God. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. You don't mind if I read this. We, we've just got a few more minutes, but these are all passages of Scripture that are just precious to me. The words of Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of uh, Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed for the, before the God of heaven. And he begins to pray and God ends up sending him back to Jerusalem. And you know about the wall being built and all that. Uh, he's got a deep passion for the people of God and their welfare and the moving forward of God's work. 
And then in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, the uh, uh, church at uh, Antioch at Syria. And this is uh, a place where it seems like the uh, after the church was driven out of Jerusalem and just a few of the remnant remained in Jerusalem, this is kind of the headquarters of uh, the early church. But it says in chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and uh, Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. And so they were seeking God's guidance in what they should do. I'm, just, I'm running out of time. Uh, in uh, chapter 14, verse uh, 21, uh, Paul and Barnabas, when they uh, anointed uh, or when they ordained elders in the churches that they established, they uh, laid hands on them and fasted and prayed over them for uh, God's anointing and power. And then uh, the last thing I, I wanted to point out I've still got more to say. Last thing I wanted to point out. This doesn't necessarily say that uh, Paul fasted, but I am. My heart has just been like blown apart by this as I was praying and meditating on these things. What Paul said in Romans chapter 9 about his people. He said, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. So, I mean, he's, he's putting some strong establishing words here. He says that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Are you ready for this? For I could wish... That myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Does, is that mind-blowing or what? Does that say what I think it says? Oh, listen. Have we, have we lost a grieving and mourning heart for our lost loved ones? Is it worth it to you to miss a night of sleep? Is it worth it to you to miss a meal and spend that time crying out to God? Because listen, if they die, if they have gone out into eternity while we've been in this service and you haven't even gotten the word yet, they'll be eternally lost. It ought to break us. Jesus was willing to turn his back on heaven 
and suffer what we ought to have suffered. Paul said he's willing to do the same thing for his brethren. I've got a daughter and grandchildren. I'd rather anything, I'd rather God do anything to me as to see one of them end up in hell. Oh, that's why I believe that even though in the uh, Old Testament more said about fasting, we still ought to spend some time denying ourselves and crying out to the Lord. Father, pray that you'd take these scattered thoughts and make something out of them that would help your people. And I pray, Lord, that you would work it in me. Work it in me. I can't just preach at other people. I've failed you so much. Please work it in me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.